Welcome to the latest edition of the Carmichael Governance Podcast. I'm Dermot O'Carbui, CEO of Carmichael. Carmichael is a charity that provides supports to other Irish charities, particularly in the area of governance. You can find details of what we do and a wide range of free resources on our website at carmichaelireland.ie. You can also find previous editions of our governance podcast on our website or on your favourite podcast platform, be that Apple, Spotify, Acast. Today, I'm speaking to Owen Daly about key questions that board directors and management should ask about the whole area of cybersecurity. Owen is a director with BDO, and he leads the firm's cybersecurity work. So you're very welcome, Owen. Maybe you could introduce yourself and the work that you do in BDO. Sure. Thanks very much, Dermot. Um, so I work for BDO. BDO is a professional services firm. Um, there's a lot of different services offered. I lead up the cybersecurity services in Ireland. And we work with a variety of different client types, um, private sector, small organizations, large organizations. Um, we work with the public sector, a lot of public agencies um, on topics related to cybersecurity. Um, really what we try to do, it cuts across um, a lot of what's in cybersecurity, which is a complex and broad domain. But really we can be summarized as preparing, so helping organizations identify what needs to be protected and how they do that. Uh, to protect, so addressing vulnerabilities to strengthen resilience, and then finally respond, so helping organisations to prepare and respond in the event of a cyber incident. And as you said, cyber security is a pretty broad term. For you, if you were asked to tell your mother, as I usually say, what do you do, Owen, and what is cyber security? Yeah, sure. Well, I think before I jump straight in, I'll just quickly define the term and then say what's within the term. So you know, people often use cyber security, information security, and cyber and information security in- interchangeably, which is fine because, you know, conversationally, people know what you mean when you talk about it, but it's worth being specific. Um, so cyber security is protection of computers, mobile devices, electronic systems, networks, and data from mal- malicious attacks. So it tends to be about, you know, equipment and things um, or application software. Information security is the protection of the integrity and com- confidentiality of information of data. So there's cyber, if you like, the devices, for ease of reference, and information, which is the data and information, but the the two together. So when I'm talking today, I'll use cybersecurity, but really I'm talking about cyber and information security. So the next question, you know, if I was to explain it, and what is it? And I'd love to be able to say my family understand what I do at all, but they they don't. And I think if I told them, they'd probably fall asleep. Um, But really, you know, the basic concepts of cybersecurity are integrity, availability, and confidentiality. And everything, all of the work I do in cybersecurity, and anyone does in cybersecurity, is about protecting the integrity, availability, and confidentiality of information systems. So, you know, confidentiality is preventing access to information by unauthorized people, organizations, and processes. So an example of a breach of confidentiality could be the theft of client information by an employee or the breach of a database by a cyber criminal. So then someone who shouldn't have access to information has access to that information, so it's a breach of confidentiality. Integrity is the maintenance of the accuracy and completeness of information such that it cannot be modified by an unauthorized individual or process and that any modifications can be detected. So a breach of data integrity could, for example, result um, in exam results being changed in a university, for example, or changes um, to the amounts allocated to invoices in a finance system. That would be a breach of integrity. Um, And then finally, availability is ensuring that information is available to serve its purpose when it's needed, and it includes both the information and the system that the information is held or processed by. So this means that the system used to hold or process the information and the security controls for the systems must function correctly. And a really well-known example of 
a compromise of availability would be ransomware. So ransomware is a type of malware or virus that typically involves encrypting data that results in the loss of availability of that information. For example, a hospital could lose access to its patient database and be unable to process blood tests or provide the results of a cancer diagnosis. Now, usually, uh, you know, when you're taking an action to strengthen security, you're touching each of those. Um, but in certain circumstances, for certain systems, you might focus on one rather than the other. Um, and often a breach will result in a compromise of one or more, typically more, of those three concepts. But fundamentally, those three things together are cybersecurity. What often tends, when you talk about cybersecurity or, or, or boards, I think, about, they, they think this is the, the area and the domain of the IT professional or the IT department. Why should boards in particular be alert and concerned about the whole area of cybersecurity? If, so if you step back and think about what an organisation does, what any organisation does or what a charity does, it's going to rely on digital systems and information to do almost anything. So to receive an email from someone, uh, now to pick up the phone and call someone or have a meeting on Teams, their finance system to process invoices, um, to, pay, to pay their employees, to issue instru- back instructions to the bank. All of that relies on digital infrastructure. So it's to the core of what many organizations and how they operate. And because of that, it really cuts across a lot of the risks that face an organization have some sort of di- uh, digital or cyber footprint. And, and that's why cybersecurity matters really to any organization. But the extent of it, we can talk about in a minute about, you know, what the most relevant risks are, what the, how those threats might manifest will change. But really, it's relevant for any organization. Um, we in the charity sector sometimes, because we, we're sort of like the good guys, we, we are all about doing good. And so therefore, we should be immune from cybersecurity. But should charities and nonprofits also take equal aware and can be equally concerned about yeah absolutely i think i think a good way into that is to think about the the sort of impacts of uh, a cybersecurity breach so you know if we think about say uh, four main types of impacts so reputation will be one the legal and regulatory requirements are sanction and direct financial losses and indirect financial losses and i can talk about a bit of these in the context of a charity so, you know, reputation. So the, the potential reputational impacts and the, the extent of them on your organization will depend on the sector you're operating in and the nature of your business. For example, in the charity sector, where effectively charities might be competing for donations, some charities get grants maybe from government authorities or from other funders. Other charities are maybe more faced towards the consumer and raising money from individuals. Consumers, their, their donations are very portable. So if there's negative sentiment about your brand, if people are unsure that their information is secure with you, maybe you've been subject to a breach, it's been reported in the news, well, that, that donation that you might have got can quickly go to another charity. Why not? Where there's less negative sentiment about their brand. So I think the reputation impacts for a charity are really important. And the importance depends on the relationships that, where they have and where they get their funding streams from. The next would be le- uh, legal and regulatory requirements. I think most people in the sector will have heard of the Data Protection, um, Data Protection Act, be aware that they have certain obligations when they hold personal data. Be aware of what personal data is, you know, any information about a, a living person effectively. And again, for in the charity sector, maybe there's a charity working with children and that is sensitive personal data and they have extra obligations to protect that information and they're legal obligations, so they have to protect it. Now, any organisation can be subject to a breach or a hack. You know, a big bank with excellent protections in place can be subject or a small organisation with you know, a couple of hundred records about children can be subject to an attack. Um, but when it comes down to the, the legal ramifications, it's what did you do to prevent it? So if you just had the fingers crossed and hope for the best, or if you can't demonstrate as a board member that you were actively identifying what the risk is, assessing what, you know, what, what the impact on the organisation be, and looking at what the mitigants are in place and how that's measured and managed, 
well then that that is your job fundamentally as a board member to look after the interests of the organisation. So if you haven't asked those questions and demonstrated that you've got evidence from the executive or from the organisation about you know about the answer to those questions, I think the legal sanction could be more significant than if you've done everything you can and you still get a breach. Those things happen. Yeah, I think that's an, ex- an excellent point about the, the duty is to ask those questions, but also when you get the answers to follow up on those answers in terms of what are the implications, what are the mitigants, or how, how, how recently have we reviewed them? Um, we run a board chairs network and. Um, you know, and which is sort of the, 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 the issues are suggested by the various chairs of what they want to discuss together. And um, we, a while back, we were talking about cybersecurity, and we just did a sort of quick straw poll of people in the room how many had been affected as charities by, by cyber attacks, and well over half put up their hands. And that was about two years ago. Yeah. Is the situation getting worse? Because we've seen headlines of which are sort of um, um, have had huge consequences. I mean, we all probably are familiar with the HSC and how devastating that was. Is the situation getting worse? I think the statistics would suggest it is. Um, it's difficult for me sometimes to have a... Um, have. A, I think my perspective sometimes is slightly skewed because I w- work with organisations that need help and assistance. Um, so in one way, I'm working with organisations that have gaps that they're trying to address. In another way, I'm working with organisations that take it seriously and taking proactive steps to address things that maybe others are ignoring. I work with organisations that have had incidents. Um, so because they've had an incident... Um, you know, I'm working with them and come to them and see think, see people when something awful has happened. So I have a slightly skewed view myself. But if I go to the data, absolutely, like there's some really good information available about what's happening out there. And if I like, you know, even if we think of the size of ransomware victims, we can see that um, I've got some statistics in front of me here from an organization called Black Fog. There's lots of these statistics available online. Um, there's a, sorry, just as a diversion, there's a, the Cyber Rescue Alliance is have an excellent LinkedIn page, and they constantly push out infographics and collect information from around the web about you know what's happening out there, what are uh, what vulnerabilities are being exploited, what attacks are happening, what sectors are being targeted, and what that shows is the size of ransomware victims has decreased. So you know was maybe larger medium organisations actually in the towards the end the last quarter of 2022. Um, these are global figures. Uh, there's been a shift to mid-sized and smaller organisations. And is that because they would be more vulnerable? That, that their protections maybe? Yeah, I, d- I don't know. I don't know to be honest. Like it could be. You could you could theorise on it that maybe the larger organisations have better protections in place now. Maybe they've done more. So the easier victims are smaller organisations that are less well resourced that haven't taken it as seriously. Potentially, um, it's it's hard to know. It's just the trends that are that are out there. Um, some of the challenges that organisations are reporting they've shifted as well. So. Um, there's been much more focus on supply chain and the increasing complexity of the threats that's been identified as people as a challenge. So not only are there, you know, the, the volume of attacks increasing, but the complexity of the threats are also increasing. So the kind of modes of attack, the complexity is increasing. But the focus on digital supply chain is increased. Now, that could be because as people get better at looking after their own organization, their suppliers become a route in. And it makes sense if you've got your say your payroll's outsourced as a charity, um, something you outsource, your payroll provider will be a route into multiple organisations. So they're a supplier to multiple. So they are a more attractive target for criminal. So rather than picking off organisations one by one, you go by the payroll provider potentially or your, your IT managed service provider potentially, and that's a route in. So there's been a, f- a shift to digital supply chains. Um, and then the attack volumes, we can see towards the end of 22, there's a, an increase of about 40%. Um, in 22 versus 21 in attack volumes globally. So 
the typical firm receives about 1,200 attacks per week. Now, a lot of that is just automated scanning, stuff crawling the web, but it's just constant. It's constantly probing just for constantly weak points. constantly and probing them. Yeah, absolutely. It's sort of vulnerability. And take just a practical thing. If you were in misfortune and you were subject to a ransomware demand, what should the board do? What If you if you were called up and says, we, we've just have been attacked and our systems are locked out, and they said, oh, what should we do here? We're a, we're a small charity. What steps do they take? If Now it's after the event. Yeah, after the event. So after the event, they've nothing in place. They're going to be in a really difficult situation. So I would say get you know get an incident responder in. So there's people that specialize in incident response, and they can do forensics to work out what happened and what you might have lost and what you might have access to, and then to determine what, what your recovery options might be. You know, in that scenario, if you have backups available, well, then the question will be, well, how recent are they? How comprehensive are they? How easily can we restore them? And how long will you be offline when we'll do that? So, you know, it's not always end of days. It depends what other mitigating measures are in place. What are your view, um, say, like in cybersecurity insurance? Because to get those instant responder type, they, they come with a cost. Um, is it a good idea? Yeah, like, I guess it's, um, it's probably the last step that you do. It's kind of like fire insurance. You hope you never have to claim on it. Yeah. But if you did, you'd be very glad to have it. But I wouldn't rely on it. On, I, I don't think it's sufficient to rely on that as your risk mitigation or your, you know, your risk management. But it, it is just, just from our own experience, we went after that meeting with the, the board chairs and, and, and some of the stories that people were telling that you don't generally hear in the public domain because uh, it it's, a, it's a, a Chatham House rule type event. But I was sort of, I was sort of concerned, so I went to the board and we did put insurance. Now, we, do, we look at cybersecurity as an important thing, but we, we were then hit... Very, uh, very sort of sophisticated. Um, an email purporting coming from our accounts department went to one of our funders yeah. and say, "We really need the next instalment of our grant payment." And and by the way, uh, we've changed our bank account. Okay. So um, when that happened, um, we got a call and said, there, "There's a, there's a problem here." Um, they sent the money. What happened? Luckily. Yeah, it was the bank spotted it as an unusual transaction and they reported but what had happened we had been affected by some Trojan where they were collecting the information they had sufficient sophistication to know the name of a staff person knowing that we were due an instalment and the weakness that we will say was in the funder that you know they didn't go through their checks with the bank account but my first concern one of my I had a lot of concerns but one of the concerns I had was the fact that is this an internal staff issue sure. Was somebody being coerced or were they part of a criminal thing? And be able to get the expertise to do that forensic analysis and, and be able to trace where actually the, the email came from. Yeah. It was very, very reassuring in terms of the, the actions we took. So from that, I would say it was, it was money well spent. But it, as you say, it's, it's no, no substitute for having good systems in place. But it was, it was a, a timely reminder that you have to be vigilant at all times and um, yeah. remind staff about the importance of... Not accepting on face value account details of change. Absolutely, and like that, that, that kind of double authorization on account details. You know, they, it's typically the combination of the two, isn't it? And those business email compromise frauds, you have to have a human being that's not following a control of some sort, and those controls are in there for really good reasons because this sort of stuff just happens. But um, when, when those things happen, it's such a stressful time. You know, you're, you're questioning: is this? Are the staff involved? Is someone operating under duress? Is the supplier pretending? I've so I've been involved in investigations where. A supplier has pretended to have an attack because they've, something has happened on their side where they want a double payment because they're struggling with their cash. Yeah. So there's and, and it gets really messy really quickly. And who's who's responsible? So you know the malware I say was on your system, 
but they, maybe the email exploit was from your supplier system and they didn't do the double authorization. So it's, it's very difficult, um, very difficult place to be. Yeah, no, it is. And it is, it is. all things go around in your head. When I'm meeting, will we get our money from our funder as a result of this? Was it our fault or was it their fault? But thankfully, in that situation, it was resolved quite quickly because the bank staff were alert saying this is, this is an unusual, you know, a, a new account suddenly opening and then there's a big payment gone into it um, from a government department, which did make sense. For, oh, that's great. It's great that they spotted that because often, often banks don't. Um, I worked in the UK for years and I found one of the differences between the UK and Ireland is that the, the police are much more engaged in addressing fraud here than in the UK. I would have done a lot of fraud investigation in the police. It just... If it was if it affected an organisation, they just it wasn't significant enough for them to do anything about. Maybe if it affected an individual, a vulnerable individual, they might do something about it. But if you're an organisation, you're on your own, so that money was gone. Usually, you know, you're never getting it back. So that's where the likes of insurance can be fantastic. And I have seen organisations like that saved with it, where they were absolutely crucified, and the insurance experts came in the next day, rebuilt systems, and got them out of a hole. But I think the cyber insurance has changed, or where it was. When it came out first, I think pe- people didn't it didn't sell very well as a product because the insurers were kind of wriggling off the hook in terms of paying out. There were, this was in London when I was there. There was a realization of that. Then it was written on an all cover basis, and then there was huge increases in the payments that the insurers were paying out for ransomware because ransomware just exploded. Um, and I guess you could argue that there's a symbiotic relationship between well, if the insurers pay out, it induces more criminals to do ransomware because they get the payment because they know the insurers will pay out. But the cost of the cover is just ballooned. Um, it's really expensive now, so you think of what you could spend your money on would actually be better value to spend on the mitigation in advance. I know I'm not a sort of a, a promoter of the insurance sector, but even just to the renewal, the sort of the questionnaire we have to complete, you know, is a good check. You know, have we all these systems in place? Have we all those uh, mitigants in, in? And how was the last time we've tested it? And there are always there are always going to be blind spots, weak spots that you say, yeah. oh, we didn't, you know. So again, like the multi-factor authentication, you know, that's an our requirement we have to have in all our systems. Well, well, but, but even that, like that, multi-factor authentication for any organization or even at home in your personal life, like that knocks out ninety nine point nine nine percent of hacks and attacks for organizations. Like it's huge, you know. Just multi-factor authentication, really easy to do. Like if you have Gmail, LinkedIn, Amazon. Facebook, any of these kind of core accounts that you use to engage on the internet, put multi-factor authentication in place. Like we hadn't, you know, up to, and it's just happened this week, because at reception, because we're open so many, you're open from 7 in the morning until 10 o'clock at night, so there's a different number of staff on reception. To, to get that in place, so, you know, individual accounts, so we've now put in, because it's a requirement of our, of our yeah. cover, and said, well, if we don't have it in, we're not covered, so what, we're paying a premium and not, not getting any value. So sometimes it can force you to make... make uh, and and that's the, I think that's the change in the insurance market now, where previously there wasn't that requirement, and now they're kind of filtering out people that are completely negligent, if you like, not doing anything, because they don't want to write that insurance, which makes sense. Just come back to, to the, our, our, our boards uh, of charities, and Boards and charities are non-executive, they're volunteers, and they're typically, in, in, as I keep saying, the, se- the sector is full of a lot of micro-organisations, 80% less than 500,000, 50% less than 100,000. They're small organisations, limited resources. They face similar type of challenges in terms of putting in those systems um, that your large multinationals and, and your large corporates have. What sort of advice would you have for them in terms of the practical things that they can do as a board of a small organisation to sort of make themselves more secure and, and to mitigate against potential attacks? Yeah, sure. I think, I think the first step would be, like, before jumping into, say, technical fixes 
or requiring any technical jargon or language is just to take a step back and say, you know, think broadly, how does cybersecurity impact my organization? What is the relevance? And that could be, you know, what are the threats most relevant to my organization? So is it that we make payments to suppliers and our emails could be compromised and that's where we're most vulnerable? Or is it that we rely on an online funding platform and if we lost access to it for whatever reason, we wouldn't be able to raise funds? So thinking what is the relationship between what we do and what we what would go wrong if we lost access to something, that helps you to identify what the most important things are. Because the issue with cybersecurity is if you just jump straight in, you could spend money forever. It's just a bottomless hole of things you could do to get marginal improvements. But actually, getting the first 80% or 90% of what you need is reasonably straightforward. It's the final 10% where you know, you've got that marginal expense. So you know what assets might be of value to an attacker? What do they want? Do they want to attack you because you've got huge trove of uh, donor data so you've got lots and lots of personal information about donors their names their address where they live and that information has a value online because you know you can use that to create synthetic identities or criminals do they use it to then target other people so you can buy you can buy identities like that online or where you know really valuable stuff would be like PSI number or a national insurance number in the UK and the rest of it but or passport numbers or you know any, any anything that you hold that might be valuable to an attacker or maybe it's not the information that you hold maybe it's the payments that you make or maybe it's your maybe you've got a big brand profile you're a very well-known charity organization and it'd be really embarrassing for you if something happened so that's the leverage that's the kind of the thing that might be affected um, and then who might target the organization and how would they do what would the route, what would the route in be and they don't need to be technical conversations they can be just plain english sitting together and thinking right what are the fundamentals here the next step then i would ask what are my organization's essential it systems and when we talk about essential you know if a good way to start is you think about all the systems that you use and just email finance whatever the basic systems are if you lost access to them tonight and you had to come into work tomorrow, what would really kill you to lose? And then that's what's essential. If you can cope for maybe four days without it, maybe you can you know, you take time to restore, you can pay your invoices next week, it's no big deal, you just ring people and tell them, well, then that's probably in the lower tier. You know, It's not an immediate impact. If you can cope for a couple of weeks while you're getting something rebuilt, well, then that's probably lower again. But when you've identified those four or five systems that are really important, well, that's where you start. Who's responsible for those systems, and how are they protected? And again, you don't need to get into technical language about firewall rules or anything else. Just who in the organization is accountable and responsible? And then how do they know that they're protected? Straightforward question. And if they can't answer that, well, that's when you start. Uh, start to map that out. Another question might be, you know, how does the board know if the organization's approach is effective? So do you have any internal audit? Now, this won't be relevant for lots of small organizations, um, external audit again might have some views you know really good thing about professional advisors and I would say this but you know we work with lots of different organizations so we can we might have worked with an organization like yours or similar maybe in a different sector but the same size and similar challenges so just ask that question of your advisors you know what have you seen that works well that we could apply here um, and then you know a critical thing about uh, whether an approach is effective something like a penetration test or vulnerability assessment they're not very expensive. They're heavily commoditized. You can get them broadly in the market. Um, they're easy to buy. One, getting one of those is a really good idea to, to start because what, what a penetration test does, it's effectively ethical hacking. You're paying someone to act like a criminal would and try and breach your organization. Now, 
you, if you've only done it for the first time, you're going to get a report with loads of horrendous findings, and then the challenge is actually to address them, because the value of something like that is only when you close the, close the issue. But a lot of times it's trying to understand what are those um, threats, and hopefully if you get one that makes sense to you as a layperson in terms of the, those issues. Probably most people will remember, because of, of the scale of it and the impact of it, was the, the hack and the ransom attack on, on the HSE, which had crippled the whole the whole, the whole organisation. And, and it's such a massive organisation, but the biggest organisation in, in, in the country. Hospitals, um, all range of services. There has been sort of a lot of reviews, and, um, and I know there's a major report, but from you're looking at that, what, what are the big takeaways from that, and, and sort of what are the learnings, sort of the, the, the big ones that, sure. in that, from that incident that, that could yeah. be applicable to any organisation? Well, if, if we remember what happened with the HSE breach, that it was ransomware. So the hackers decided to remove access to systems from the organisation to put them under pressure to make a payment. There was also the theft of data um, with a threat that that information would be leaked online, again, to compound the threat. So, you know, you might be able to restore your systems, but we have your data, and that sensitive personal data, and we'll leak that if you don't pay the ransom. You know, they could have targeted the HSE to try and interrupt maybe the finance system to pick up individual payments. But really, what would you pick up? Maybe 70 grand here, 100 grand here, versus potentially millions in a ransom payment. So in that in that threat assessment uh, that the attackers were making, or the vulnerability assessment, they decided that the leverage for them was ransomware. Um, if we look at the report, there was a very detailed report that came out about what happened. Um, what was interesting, interesting for me wasn't that the organization was running old and vulnerable systems. It's a huge organization. Uh, you know, it's got well-known issues and you know, it does a lot of good work and it's got a lot of work that it could improve, I guess. But uh, it was that they were told over years that these systems are vulnerable and should be fixed and patched and I think for anyone listening today if you've been told that patch the systems because uh, you know software gets out of date you have to keep it up to date you see it on your phone you get a message via Android or via Apple update your phone do it and it's the same with your organizations if you're running old systems and they're out of date when they're old and out of date they're not supported by the software vendor anymore so for example Microsoft will stop supporting products then cyber criminals identify new vulnerabilities in those products. Microsoft doesn't release a patch for them because they're old and unsupported. And those vulnerabilities then are exploited. And the organizations that are at risk are the ones that are running that old and unpatched software. So for me, the HSC attack was a horrendous example of what can happen when you're told repeatedly, fix this, something awful is going to happen. You should really fix this. The voice isn't heard. And then there's an exploit. And sometimes it's frustrating with these attacks because... Um, when the spokesperson comes out, now I'm, not, I'm talking in abstract rather than the HSE, it's always a sophisticated attack. It's always some sort of sophisticated uh, state adversary. Often it's not. Often it's fairly basic. They haven't done the fundamentals to keep the organisation secure. It's not an act of God. You know, this, this thing was foreseen, and like the HSE, was pointed out by internal audit over the years. Often, you know, they're 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 fairly straightforward exploits where they're you know they're the majority of hacks and breaches that impact organisations relate to vulnerabilities in software or compromised credentials. There's two things that are taken from that, but one, and, and, it's, and the wider one, is particularly for boards, where you've been warned or you've been highlighted this, this is, this is a, a, an area that needs attention, and it, not only in cybersecurity, because if you read um, Inspector's report from the Charity Regulator, it, it compounds the issue um, when people look at it and say, well, you've been told, you got reports, you got reports from authoritative sources saying there was a problem here, 
and you still continue to choose to ignore it. And I think that lesson applies across a number of areas in governance, but particularly in, in, in cyber security. Don't ignore, don't put the head in the sand. The other area is that you mentioned earlier was a lot of the weakest part in the chain is humans. The inadvertently clicking on an email without an attachment. Is that something that can be fixed easier or is it something you just constantly need to remind people about the to be alert? I think st- like staff have a really important role, but it's important not to rely on your staff's behaviour to keep your organisations utterly secure because it's too difficult for staff. You have to make their life easy. They have a lot going on in their job. The machines are tools. You know, if uh, like the HSE hack started with, allegedly with someone clicking on a link um, that you know malicious code came in, but it's not that individual's fault. Like we're clicking on links all the time. Where we engage, how we engage with everything in our life now is via uh, clicking on links and clicking on buttons on the internet. So I think staff have a role. They absolutely need training, but it's incumbent upon the organisation to you know arrange the system to make it easy for staff to comply. Like that. Instead of asking staff to remember longer and longer and more complex passwords and change them every four days, and what do they do then? They start re- reusing passwords or they start writing them down because that's what you do as a human. You can't remember all of the passwords. I think I saw a stat that the average person has 50 online accounts that they need to remember passwords for. You're not going to remember all that. So the answer is to enable yourself to use a password manager and multi-factor authentication, and then they're going to have secure passwords. And if they do that activity in work and they understand why it's important, they should do it at home because really you want your staff to behave in a simple way you know, mirror, mirror the behaviour because it's really simple stuff that you want staff to do and like you know links coming in uh, malicious links coming in the organisation should have a mail filter that filters out the majority of that you can't rely on your staff to review every link in detail Going back to our boards and, and, and management in organisations and as I said a lot of, our, lot, a lot of um, the organisations in the non-profit sector are small are there resources are there things that can help them to sort of get get to grips to get a um to help develop their their cyber security strategies and, and their plans and their mitigations that you would recommend that would be helpful in in written in layman's language so that you know they're easy to grasp uh, absolutely i think the you know there, there there's no end of information available online about what to do for cyber security um it's difficult because often what you find is relates to organizations praying for search engine optimization to get you to buy their products. But there's some good stuff on uh, frameworks that are commonly used. So there's the NIST NIST framework or the CIS CIS um, top, top 18 or CIS cybersecurity framework where they're really useful because they tell you what are the domains you might consider, what are the controls. Now they can get a bit complex and a bit overwhelming quite quickly. But they're good to look at. You know, these are the range of things that an organization might do around identifying people, controlling access, incident response, detection response. But I've seen some really good guidance from the Charity Commission over there. Yeah, like really good stuff, written really well, written for uh, trustee, you know, trustees, boards of organizations and senior management of small organizations. And they really kind of focus on what are the fundamentals that you need to get right rather than jumping straight into technical products and tools. So if I was in their shoes, that's where I'd start. I'm probably less familiar with content from Ireland. Is there stuff from the charge regulator here? There's some, but yeah, but again, as I say to people, look around, and if there is a good source, and, and as you say, I would use the Charity Commission in the UK, or in England and Wales a lot, the, the Scottish equivalent, the, the Irish, you know, again, sometimes it's looking around, some maybe have a particular better guidance than in, in a particular area, so it's just look, looking around, but they're always my go-tos, and I'm looking for 
good, well-written guidelines um, in any area. So if you if you as a as an expert sort of said, I like that that one for the audience that it was written for. Very very important. Just as a final question, on um, just you know, if our our listeners here are. I mean, listen, maybe a little bit scared or whatever, or, or a little bit apprehensive. What would be your tips to those organizations that may not have had a sort of a, a rigorous approach to cybersecurity up to now? Don't ignore it. Um, think about it just as any other risk that your organization faces that you have to manage. It's just another operational issue that you have to be on top of. Um, if you can, outsource your IT, I'd say, because... It's very difficult for smaller organizations to stay on top of the full breadth of, say, IT and cybersecurity because each domain within it can go quite deep. Um, so if you can outsource, there's some good managed service providers out there that cater to smaller organizations, you know, from the, say, 10 to 150. Um, they'll do lower than 10, but the costs get a bit proportionally higher. Um, but if you can outsource it, I would say. No, that's been this has been really, really fascinating, and I do appreciate your time for this because I think it's some valuable advice for our listeners there. But as I would say to boards, you know, put it on the agenda, have a, have a deep look at the whole issue, and say how prepared are you, and use those sort of resources like that guidance that from the Charity Commissioner in England, Wales, and our other ones as a sort of primer for that conversation because it is very important to just be aware of it and then that filters down to the organisation the importance if the board is saying this is critical for us and this is we take it seriously that will help the rest of the organisation to sort of take the actions that they need to take so Owen this has been fantastic thank you Cheers Dermot thanks very much Thank you for listening to our latest Carmichael Governance Podcast We hope you enjoyed it If you did it would be of great benefit to us if you could give it a rating, as that helps to create greater awareness of these podcasts. So until the next time, Slán Gofol. Go